My dear brothers and sisters, I would like to discuss with you this morning some of the essentials in church welfare services, giving particular attention to the bishop's responsibilities and the role of the storehouse in carrying out these responsibilities. May I begin by referring to a significant and very basic statement made by President J. Reuben Clark, Jr., in which he summarized the purposes of welfare services. The welfare plan is a permanent plan for the purpose of extending temporary assistance to the individual, so far as his temporal needs are concerned, but permanent benefits so far as his spiritual welfare is involved." End quote. I fear that the welfare services effort often appears to many be temp to be temporal only in nature. It is, in fact, also spiritual. If this were not so, it would be merely an organization of men and would have all of the weaknesses of man-made organizations. The spiritual nature of the work sets us apart from the world. The Lord said, it must needs be done in mine own way. The spiritual nature of our work is absolutely essential to its success. President Clark goes on to define the bishop's duty in both the temporal and spiritual aspects of his welfare services responsibility. The bishop is to administer to the wants of the elders, to visit the poor and the needy and administer to their relief. For temporal needs, he is to draw from the storehouse. Spiritually, he is to see that they are or become the pure in heart, that their spirits are contrite, that their hearts are broken." End quote. Let us next consider what the Lord says about this subject as recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants. The office of bishop is in administering all temporal things, having a knowledge of them by the spirit of truth. In his calling, he is in, to be endowed with the spirit of discernment to detect the, those professing and yet not of God. He is to search after the poor to administer to their wants by humbling the rich and the proud. Again from President Clark. Thus to the bishop are given all the powers and responsibilities which the Lord has specifically prescribed in the Doctrine and Covenants for the caring of the poor. To him go the funds necessary, therefore, and to him are given the gifts and functions necessary for carrying on this work. No one else is charged with this duty and responsibility. No one else is endowed with the power and functions necessary for this work. Thus, by the word of the Lord, the sole mandate to care for and the sole discretion in caring for the poor of the Church is lodged in the bishop. And short of actual transgression, no one can call his, uh, his action into question. It is his duty and his only to determine whom, when, how, and how much shall be given to any member of his ward from church fund, funds and as ward help. This is his high and solemn obligation imposed by the Lord himself. The bishop cannot escape this duty. He cannot shirk it. He cannot pass it on to someone else and so relieve himself. Whatever help he calls in, he is still responsible." End quote. Thus we see how significant the bishop's role is. Now let us discuss how the bishop fulfills his welfare services assignments. First, of course, the bishop and the ward welfare services committee have the responsibility to teach the members of the ward the principles of welfare services. For many years, the brethren from this pulpit have stressed and will continue to stress the need for personal and family preparedness. Personal responsibility is basic to the Lord's plan. From some of the reports we receive, altogether too many members feel that home storage is the total program. May I remind you of the six elements of personal and family preparedness, all of which should be taught. They are, first, literacy and education. Second, career development. Third, financial and resource management. Fourth, home production and storage. Fifth, physical health. And sixth, social emo emotional strength. Home production and storage is a very necessary element of personal and family preparedness. However, it is not the only element. 
nor is it necessarily the most significant element. Some people have reacted to the theme of preparedness as if it were a doomsday matter. In reality, all six elements of personal and family preparedness are to be emphasized so that the Latter-day Saints may be better prepared to meet the ordinary day-to-day -day requirements of successful living. Our emphasis on this subject is not grounds for crisis thinking or panic. Quite the contrary. Personal and family preparedness should be a way of provident living, an orderly approach to using the resources, gifts, and talents the Lord shares with us. So the first step is to teach our people to be self-reliant and independent through proper preparation for daily life. Second, while teaching correct principles, the bishop should become acquainted with the conditions and needs of his people. He is to search after the needy and administer to their wants. Generally, the finding process will be accomplished by home teachers and Relief Society visiting teachers. Third, after assessing and verifying needs, the bishop administers personally or appoints others to administer assistance according to established church policies. The Lord has provided the, the bishop with a host of resources to aid him as he ministers to the needs of the members of his ward. These include the Ward Welfare Services Committee, Relief Society, the Bishop's Storehouse, Desert Industries, Welfare Production Projects, and Fast Offerings. I should like now to give some emphasis to the Bishop's Storehouse. A physical Bishop's Storehouse is a sacred facility in which are deposited consecrated commodities provided by, tho uh, by those who have to help those who have not. Through a Bishop's order, those in need obtain food, clothing, and other items to provide temporary relief for their basic needs. Desert Industries also serves as a storehouse for non-food items. Where production projects are not yet available to support a physical bishop storehouse, cash storehouses are established. This means that money is contributed to those who have so the bishop can meet the wants of the needy. As with the physical bishop's storehouse, the bishop's order is prepared by the bishop or by the Relief Society president under the bishop's direction. The completed order, which lists needed commodities, is approved and signed by the bishop. Advance arrangements are made with local merchants to fill the signed orders at the most reasonable cost. Church welfare funds, known as cash in lieu, are used to pay the merchant for the commodities. Fast offerings are not used for such purposes when a cash bishop storehouse is in existence. With the storehouse and fast offerings, every bishop has two hands with which to bless his people, just as we give spiritual blessings with two hands. When the need is temporal, the bishop should also use both hands, the one with storehouse commodities and the other with the fast offerings. Remember, brethren, the hand with storehouse commodities should be used first. When we use commodities first, we are in compliance with the Lord's program of frugality and self-reliance, and we also ensure a flow of food and non-food items into the bishop's storehouse system. Fast offerings should be used primarily for cash needs such as house payments, utilities, and so forth. The Bishop's Storehouse is a vital link in the welfare services system of production and distribution. We realize that many of the wards of the church do not have access to a physical Bishop's Storehouse. This is of great concern to us. At the beginning of this dispensation in 1831, the Lord instructed as follows, And again let the Bishop appoint a storehouse into this church, and let all things, both in money and meat, which are more than is needful for the wants of this people be kept in the hands of the bishop. Behold, this shall be an example unto my servant Edward Partridge in other, in other places in all churches." End quote. With the establishment of the present welfare plan in 1930, 100 years after this revelation, from then until now, the brethren have counseled that every bishop in the church should have access to a bishop's storehouse. We recognize that current distribution needs and the availability of production projects do not always permit a, a, a storehouse in each state. We know, however, that the Lord's kingdom will not attain its full maturity 
until we have met this charge to be independent above all other creatures beneath the celestial world. Also, uh, <clears throat> we also know that caring for the poor and needy in the Lord's own way cannot be fully accomplished without every bishop having access to a physical storehouse. With these, these things in mind, we are undertaking a vigorous effort to expand the bishop storehouse system beyond the Western United States and extend it throughout the world. This must be done in an orderly, well-planned way. We ask bishops and stake presidents to analyze their storehouse needs, present and future, and communicate your recommendations to the General Welfare Services Committee. For criteria to establish bishop storehouses, please consult the Welfare Services Handbook. We each need to recognize that the Lord's storehouse system blesses both giver and receiver. The storehouse blesses the recipient not only with material goods, but as a place of work and skill development, creating dignity and generating self-esteem. Through storehouses, we not only teach true Christian charity, but we exemplify it in action. Storehouses bless the members of the church by helping them live their covenants of sacrifice and consecration. Indeed, the Lord states in the 83rd section of the Doctrine and Covenants that the storehouse shall be kept by the consecrations of the people. President Clark reminds us that our storehouses today are under the welfare uh, under the welfare plan are kept, in fact, by the consecrations of the church, that is, of the membership of the church. The storehouses we have now are stocked by the produce raised and materials fabricated for that purpose by church members. These contributions are truly consecrations, for they are freely and gratuitously given with no claim back by the donor, either as to contributions themselves or to compensation, therefore." End quote. If the bishops and stake presidents are to move the church forward to maturity, they will accept this challenge. Each will become involved in a welfare services production project in the earliest, at the earliest possible time. This will lead naturally to the establishment of a bishop's storehouse, resulting in the implementation of the full program so our people can literally be independent above all other creatures beneath the celestial world that this may be our goal and that we may accomplish it is my prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, last July, six Stake Relief Society presidents visited me in my office. They were all from the Idaho stakes affected by the Teton flood. They spoke of the labor and the love given by thousands of priesthood volunteers and also the service of countless Relief Society women who washed, scrubbed, cleaned, prepared food, cared for children, and performed other essential services for victims of that terrible disaster. As those sisters spoke, several images came to my mind. I was reminded of one of the beautiful sculptures of the Relief Society Nauvoo Monument, a woman with hands outstretched in the attitude of compassion, typifying the woman described in Proverbs. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. I recalled my own visit to the flood area, where I saw a cultural hall with tables of good clothing clearly sized and marked, another room with neatly stacked foods, cans of wheat, dehydrated milk, bottled fruit, non-essential, non-food items, all donated by individuals acting in spontaneous compassion and generosity. I remembered the spirit of love and unity as members in nearby areas not affected by the floods, opened their homes and shared their food and other supplies with flood victims. I thought at the time what a blessing it was that those who had been obedient to the counsels of the brethren had sufficient personal supplies 
to share with those flood victims. Through this hard experience, lessons in preparedness and provident living were learned for the entire church. Let us consider now what we as Relief Society leaders need to do in the next six months to help all of us accomplish the storage goals established by the general authorities. First, help sisters assess their own progress in this assignment. Have their families met the goal? Are they moving toward the halfway mark? Perhaps some have just started, while others may not know where to begin. Second, teach storage principles. One, basic food storage. Included in the year's supply of basic foods should be life-sustaining foods that store well for a long time. Grains, wheat, rice, corn, or other of the cereal grains. Dried milk, dried fish, or protein vegetables, such as beans, peas. Fresh, canned, dried, or pickled fruits and vegetables. Sugar or sugar substitutes, such as honey. Some form of fats, salt and water. Fresh taro or sweet potato. Live pigs, chickens, or fish might be considered as a supply in some areas of the world where it is difficult to store food. Remember, that regular use of whole grains is important in building a digestive tolerance for roughage. Two, basic clothing and fuel storage. Three, emergency storage items placed where they could be picked up at a moment's notice, such as water, food needing no refrigeration or cooking, medications needed by family members, a change of clothing for each member of the family, a first aid booklet, and first aid supplies, an axe, shovel, blanket. These would be used when a family or an individual has only a short time to flee a disaster or a need to stay in a sheltered area within the home. It is also wisdom to have the family's important papers and documents together where they could be picked up at a moment's notice. Four, expanded storage. Families may also wish to expand their basic storage to include foods and other daily essentials that would supply total nutritional needs and allow variety and personal preferences in diet and living. These would be the things which are normally used every day and for which frequent shop shopping is done. I repeat, home storage should consist of a year's supply of basic foods, clothing, and where possible, fuel. After this goal is reached, emergency and expanded storage is desirable. In all of our storage, quality products, proper containers and storage facilities, proper storage temperatures, and regular rotation are important considerations. Some of the recent disasters in which church members have been involved show that there is a need for diversification in places of storage and in types of containers. Perhaps not all storage should be concentrated in one area of the house. Not all should be stored in tin or plastic containers, not all in glass containers. I outlined in April 1976 welfare services meeting eight suggested topics for Relief Society homemaking mini-classes. I repeat these by way of review. How to save systematically for emergencies and home storage. How to, what to, where to store. How to store seeds, prepare soil, acquire proper tools for gardening how to grow your own vegetables, how to can and dry foods, how to teach and help your family eat foods needed for physical health, how to do basic machine and hand sewing, mending and clothing remodeling, 
how to plan and prepare nutritious, appetizing meals using the resources available and foods from home storage shelves. May I also strongly urge state and district Relief Society leaders to encourage mini-class instructions on how to use the basic food storage items in daily diets. I ask Relief Society leaders to secure and study approved materials on home storage to local cultures, climate, and area, to counsel with local priesthood leaders and make realistic storage plans available to the people in their area. Plans for storage may vary according to the circumstances of individuals or families, but always the guidelines that are given will be helpful as they are listed in the Essentials of Home Storage, available at church distribution. Local university and government departments could also be a source of help. We urge Relief Society leaders to work out ways women can help in church welfare projects. Many could be active participants in the actual work of production projects and canneries. Others might do telephoning and scheduling. Babysitting might be provided to enable young mothers to work on projects or in canneries. Or several young mothers could do babysitting for each other. Families might go together to work on production projects, thus strengthening the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood among them. Women should encourage their families and arrange home activities and schedules so that the family will want to participate. A woman's attitude and response will set the tone for the entire family and for others. Her enthusiasm can be contagious, and filling such assignments provides her with a golden opportunity to teach gospel principles of love and service, of work and self-reliance, of stewardship and consecration. As each sister participates in welfare, we feel added blessings can come into her life as conceptualized by the Relief Society Nauvoo Monument to Women, and she will be blessed spiritually. She will give a good pattern for her children to follow. She and her family will be blessed physically and socially. Furthermore, the Relief Society Sisters of today will discover, as the founding sisters of Nauvoo realized, that there is a special blessing in working with the priesthood brethren of the church. In so doing, they will be reliving and strengthening the companion pattern that began with Adam and Eve. It is my prayer that the preparations of the women of the church in the area of home production and storage will enable us to be generous with our substance if needed and bring greater security to individuals and families so that we might be as the virtuous woman of old who was not afraid of the snows of adversity for her household. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I would be ungrateful this morning if I didn't express my appreciation for walking in the shadow of two great and holy men, Bishop Brown and Bishop Peterson, and for letting you know that I have a personal witness that J. Richard Clark is a suited companion for these great men. This morning I have the assignment from Bishop Brown to discuss employment responsibilities. Six months ago, Bishop Peterson discussed employment. Some time back, a mother took her son Freddie to the LDS hospital. And after the surgery, that evening at 7 o'clock, she went to the head nurse and said, I would like you to check on Freddie every half hour. And the head nurse said, well, I'll do my best, but you know we have other things to do. We'll check on him regularly. And the mother said, well, then I'll stay here if you will not check on him every half hour. Finally, the head nurse said, well, I personally then will check on him every half hour so you can go. So the mother left, and then at 7.30, the nurse made her way down the uh, long wing of the LDS hospital, the very last room, and she stuck her head in the door and she said, Freddie, how are you? And he said, I'm fine, thank you. She made her way all the way back down to the central station, which is quite a walk, and it was almost 8 o'clock, and she turned her way back, 
went to the room a second time, and at 8.30, and at 9 o'clock, and 9.30, and 10 o'clock, and finally she thought she wasn't getting anything done except walking back and forth to Freddie's room. And so she decided to use the intercom. So she pressed the button on the intercom to his room, and she said, Freddie, are you okay? Not a sound. Freddie, are you all right? Nothing. Freddie, speak to me. Are you okay? And a very timid voice said, yes, Wall, what do you want? I think uh, as we talk about unemployment, and Bishop Peterson discussed it last time and me this morning, we do not think we're talking to the wall, but repetition is a good teacher. We constantly teach, and it has been taught from the beginning, that a man should be completely self-reliant and able to take care of him, himself and his family. This is an eternal and true principle. Many in the church have attained such total self-reliance. Each individual has the responsibility to take care of his own employment needs. Yet sometimes, as quorum or ward leaders, we consider this principle and withdraw from our respons responsibility, feeling that the individual can work out his own problems. The fact is that we have a great responsibility to help us to understand and fulfill that responsibility. There are two principles regarding employment that I should like to discuss. One, it is true that the individual must be self-reliant. Two, this does not relieve the quorum and other ward members from their immediate immediate obligation to that individual. Whenever a person in the ward is unemployed, the individual has primary responsibility to locate another job. Where he is unable to find a job, his family should help. Corman ward assistance should be offered in the very beginning when the individual is first out of work. The longer the time between the loss of one's job and the finding of another, the more, the more difficult it is to find work. Several things are involved. The individual loses his confidence. Pressures, mental, physical, and financial, clutter the mind, and thinking becomes clouded. Image of self-worth is reduced significantly with each passing day. The stigma placed upon the one seeking employment by the community and potential employers is, if he had anything on the ball, he would have a job. He must have some hang-ups. I dare not hire him. The longer the period of unemployment, the harder it is for the individual to go back to work, even if he has an opportunity. In a talk entitled Freedom, a Terrible Risk by Harvey Jacobs, he related the following. In a Japanese novel of several years ago, the main character, wandering in a strange village, becomes trapped in the bottom of a sand pit. Food and water are lowered to him, but no ladder. He wants out desperately. He begs his captors to let him go. He tries to bargain with them, but nothing works. Months pass. The begging, the scheming becomes a way of life. After a long time, he has granted what he wants, what he has been striving for with all his will, day and night, the freedom to come out of his pit and go on his way incomplete freedom. Suddenly he is afraid. He is alarmed by the prospect of facing the world without protection. He could get lost, he thinks. In his little pit he was at least sheltered from unknown harm. Now he understands that freedom is not a reward, but a terrible risk. Those of us who have never been out of work would find it difficult to understand the mental anxiety and loss of confidence that comes from a long period of unemployment. Plato said, the very most important part of any project is the very beginning. Now what can be done by the Corman Ward to solve employment needs by members, and how do we do it? Stake presence and bishops, instruct your stake and ward welfare services committee in employment matters, particularly the principles we outline in these welfare conferences. Quorum presence and bishops, contact the members immediately as soon as you know he is out of work. Do not wait until Sunday. Counsel those who are unemployed to do the following. Some of these suggestions might not be locally applicable. The principles are universal. Use every personal resource possible. Solve to resolve to work at looking for a job. Get up every morning at 7 a.m. Shower, clean up, have prayer and breakfast, and leave at a.m. to look for a job. Spend several hours each day looking for a job. What to do while endeavoring to find a job? Make out a resume which has a professional appearance. Corm reward resources may assist in filling out a resume. If appropriate, send a resume, depending on the type of work in which you're interested, to executive search firms or place it in the hands of prospective employers. Check companies or businesses in which, you, in which you have had experience. Call and make appointments. Review the help wanted section of the paper. Even papers from other communities if you don't mind moving. Check with employment agencies. Check telephone directories for a list of companies in the field of your employment skills. Visit family or other acquaintances who may know of an opening. Take a period of time, at least 30 minutes, to pray and meditate about where you may be able to find employment. You will be inspired and directed. 
Read materials that increase your, your faith and confidence, scriptures, success motivation books. Plan an outline exactly what the course of action will be for the next day's searching for a job. Here again is an excellent opportunity for one or more resource persons to do some creative thinking and dialoguing with the unemployed. Dress appropriately for the interview. This gives confidence and creates a first good impression. Be willing to start at the bottom and work up. Be willing to prove to yourself, yourself to a new employer. Pay tithing, even though it may be all the money you have. The Lord's blessings are needed, and this is one way of assuring them. Quorum presidents and bishops, talk with the unemployed individual and rebuild the individual's self-image. Instruct him as previously listed. Lay your hands on his head and give him a special blessing where such is requested. Make the resources of the ward and quorum available as needed. If work does not come at first, stay close to the unemployed individual so he can have someone with whom he can review his frustrations and keep him thinking positively. Call in, in as many resource persons as necessary to help the greatest resource, of course, is the combined talents of the quorum. Each quorum member should be involved by assignment to assist in finding jobs. There may be occasions that warrant the quorum members assist, assisting while the individual retools through vocational training, or the quorum may be called upon to assist in setting a member up in business. The great blessing of the quorum of the ward is that instead of one person feeling lost and alone, he will feel that there are 100 people or more working to help him find a job. The Ward Welfare Services Committee discusses the needs of the individual. Each member of the quorum group presidency immediately involves quorum group members to help locate employment. Thus, the entire priesthood becomes involved by assisting in trying to locate job openings. In 1937, Elder Harold B. Lee said, it must surely be apparent to all that every step the unemployed person takes away from the circle of his quorum carries him that much further from possible employment. When necessary, get the entire ward involved. When we do, we have a hundred times more exposure. We have a hundred times more chance for success. It is one thing to talk about a problem and another thing to actually contribute to the solution. Ward Welfare Services Committee are organized to get results. A quorum and ward totally united in fasting and prayer and works on behalf of one individual in need of work will produce miracles. A convict was being escorted by two armed guards down a hall between a row of cell blocks. One of the inmates asked him where he was going. To the electric chair, he responded, well, more power to you, boy. <laughs> we have power when we involve the quorum and the ward. Every ward should have a functioning employment system. It includes the individual, the quorum, the ward, the stake, the region, community resources available. Some areas have, some, have church employment centers, but these are organized to compensate for a lack of total quorum and ward commitment. This is because the priesthood have not accepted and are not living or functioning the way the Lord would have us. In the past, the process from quorum to ward to stake to the region has been too slow, not because the principle is wrong, but priesthood leaders are not functioning properly in this area of their stewardship. Jobs are lost due to time lag between employment needs being matched with employment opportunities. We as a people do not understand the quorum organization yet. When we do, we will find there will be a power surge through the church that will electrify the world. The priesthood quorum is the Lord's organization for the brotherhood of men and brethren in the kingdom. The quorum is to function primarily to assist quorum member in spiritual growth and development. The temporal welfare of every quorum member is also the responsibility of every other quorum member, of the, every other quorum member. There is a holy brotherhood and a good quorum that draws the members together with bands stronger than steel. The quorum is a brotherhood of charity, wherein the pure love of Christ prevails. When this charity pervades all that is done, then every member has a Christ-like interest in every other member. Quorum members feel the weight of the burden which is carried by their unemployed brother as though they themselves were unemployed. They are motivated, motivated to action. The correlation and efforts of the quorum are directed by the quorum president. The bishop, through his counselor, responsible for personal welfare matters, has the duty to correlate employment-finding activities outside of the quorums. God bless you, our beloved leaders, to have the charity for the unfortunate. Which charity is the true love of Christ? And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like to elaborate on Bishop Brown's Welfare Production Challenge. 
which was for bishops and stake presidents to become involved in a welfare production project at the earliest possible time. If your ward or wards are not involved in a production project, please see to it that during your administration they become so. It should be the right kind of project, one which will provide needed commodities for your bishop's storehouse, thus assisting the area served by the storehouse to be self-sufficient in its ability to care for the poor and the needy. If your wards are already involved in a production project, either on a ward or stake basis, please be sure that ward members have opportunities to participate fully and that the project is operated as it should be. As you know, projects may be organized on either the, a ward, multi-ward, or stake basis. The key to this challenge is, of course, to accomplish this task during your time in office. My purpose this morning is to offer ideas on how you can meet the challenge. To do this, let's put production projects in their proper perspective by answering some basic questions. First, how are the poor, the needy, and the distressed cared for in the church? In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says the following. All children have claim upon their parents for their maintenance until they are of age, and after that they have claim upon the church, or in other words, upon the Lord's storehouse, if their parents have not wherewith to give them inheritances. The end of quote. When an individual cannot care for himself, his family should provide every assistance possible, and when the family of the needy person has done all it can do, to provide money or commodities, the bishop is empowered to assist. According to the Welfare Services Handbook, the bishop of each ward has the sole mandate to care for and the sole discretion in caring for the poor and needy of the church. It is his duty and his only to determine to whom, when, how, and how much shall be given to any member of his ward from church funds or commodities. This is his high and solemn obligation imposed by the Lord himself Whoever and whatever the help he calls in to assist him to perform this service, he is still responsible. Bishops must remember that they are under sacred obligation to follow the whole welfare services program of the Church as it relates to serving the poor and the needy. One of the key elements that is too often overlooked is the vital need for everyone in the program to work to the extent of his ability. Priesthood leaders who understand will not forget this basic principle. Souls can be destroyed when getting is not a partner with giving. Next, where do the funds and, commodity and the commodities come from which are used by the bishops to bless the lives of the poor and the needy? They come from fast offerings to meet cash needs and from the storehouses to meet commodity needs. Regarding fast offerings, we learned recently that some members of the Church are unsure as to how they may help financially. May we reaffirm that the way members can con may contribute to the, church, to the Church to care for those in need is to pay a generous fast offering. In the words of President Kimball, quoting, I think that when we are affluent, as many of us are, that we ought to be more generous. Instead of the amount saved by our two or more meals of fasting, perhaps much more, seven times more, should be given when we are in a position to do it. End of quote. Certainly, every faithful member will respond generously to this call from the Lord's anointed prophet. <clears throat> Third, where do storehouses get their commodities to fill bishops' orders? Through welfare donations and through volunteer work on production projects, members help produce food and non-food commodities to be placed in bishops' storehouses throughout the Church. A storehouse should be available to each bishop so he may, via a bishop's order form, issue commodities to those in need. As a matter of policy, where storehouses are available, the bishop should use commodities first before using fast offering funds. By so doing, our production base is then properly maintained and utilized. The cost to the church is generally less when commodities from projects are used instead of fast offering funds to buy from retail stores. And finally, we remain independent from commercial supply, which cannot always be assured. Next, what are the basic what are the basic purposes of production projects? First of all, to provide food and non-food commodities for the poor and the needy. Second, to give members a chance to share part of their abundance with others by generously contributing money and labor. Third, to efficiently produce enough commodities or cash to fill the assigned commodity production budget and to meet annual operating costs. Fourth, to provide work opportunities for those who receive church assistance. 
Fifth, to promote local production self-sufficiency so we can care for the needy. Sixth, to provide land reserves, trained and experienced managers and workers, and if possible, a year's supply of seed, fertilizer, fuel, feed, and so forth, so that additional commodities could be available if needed in, in the future to help those in need. Seventh, to provide individuals, families, and quorums with experiences in brotherhood and in the production of basic foods. And eighth, to provide a model for the community of efficient management and operations so that projects are successful and reflect a positive image of the church. Finally, how can a ward or stake acquire a production project? Requiring the need, regarding the need for involvement in or improvement of a production project, the bishop or stake president should assign his counselor responsible for production to study the matter fully. The assigned counselor should work with the Relief Society counselor who is assigned to represent the Relief Society presidency in production matters. It may also be appropriate to obtain help from a resource person such as an agriculturalist whose background and experience qualify him to assist in developing the, production, the project proposal, or a businessman who could assist with a feasibility study. The proposal should conform to the purposes of production projects as herein outlined. The following considerations should be attended to. One, is the type of project suitable to the area? Two, is it compatible with other local projects? Are there too many of one kind? Does it fit into the total welfare plan? Three, are the estimated financial and time commitments required of, what are the estimated and financial and time commitments required of ward or stake members? Four, what are the project projected dates for approval, acquisition, and operation? Five, the outline of the operating plan should include estimated production, cost of production, net returns, potential for invest involvement of welfare recipients, and whether the project will fill the commodity production budget that may be assigned. Sixth, further, the proposal should answer such questions as these. A, will the project be accessible to the members? For example, a ward project may be a better alternative than a stake or regional project if the stake is spread over a large geographical area. B, will the size and type of the project be suitable for the ward or stake members? The skill and talent needed to manage the project should be available. There should also be enough manpower to keep the project operating efficiently. C, is there a history of successful production of the commodity? It is important to follow proven local agricultural and business practices. D, will the commodity promote self-sufficiency? An area is becoming self-sufficient with regards to food when such items as dairy products, grains, vegetables, fruits, honey, meats, eggs, fruit, fats, and oils, citrus products or its substitutes, and livestock fe stock feed are produced locally. There should be a basic need for the item to be produced. After full discussion of the proposal, priesthood leaders responsible should make the decision a matter of prayer. Once the unit has made a decision, it should be discussed in the appropriate Welfare Services Committee meetings as outlined in the handbook. Ward and or stake approval by the priesthood body is needed. After all local discussions and approvals are secured, applications should be made with the General Welfare Services Committee of the Church. All production projects must be approved by the General Welfare Services Committee. Application forms and information may be obtained by writing here at the church headquarters. Now, as you seek to respond to this challenge and prepare a proposal for eventual approval by the General Welfare Services Committee, you will undoubtedly have questions regarding financing. While welfare production proje projects are entirely owned by the local unit, when necessary, loans are available for the, from the General Welfare Services Committee for acquisition of the project and, as necessary, for operation, capital improvements, and expansion. Acquisition loans can be obtained for up to 75% of the purchase price of the project. Loan repayment is determined on a case-by-case -case basis, not to exceed five years. Please remember that the acquisition cost is not to be met from project income, but rather from member contributions. These contributions represent one of the ways we live our covenant of consecration. Let us also remember that your signature on a promissory note with the General Welfare Services Committee is a commitment that binds you and your people to specific terms and conditions. 
On a related matter, brethren, we understand that priesthood leaders often make a time commitment to their people by telling them when their con contributions will end and that the project will pay for itself on such and such a day. In many instances, it is impossible to forecast this and therefore difficult to meet such a commitment. It is a far better approach for priesthood leaders to recognize that contributing to welfare is a part of the law of sacrifice and that consecration is a never-ending process. With the growth of the Church and the need to expand and upgrade welfare projects, it is far better to teach members that there will be a continuing opportunity to contribute to the welfare program. Priesthood leaders should read the handbook and teach the principles as outlined therein. If our people are taught these and related principles, they feel the redeeming power of contributing and caring for their fellow beings according to their covenants. They feel the power that comes from imparting of their substance to care for the poor and the needy in the Lord's way. Now let's turn our attention to project management. Here we will discuss management principles, which, if followed, will help every project. The number one factor for success on welfare projects is the attitude of priesthood leaders, brethren who are anxious to follow instructions, who think positively, and who are enthusiastic will get the job done and be successful. Welfare projects ex exist to produce food, so stick to the basics. We are not running experimental farms. We should not be involved in unproven and untested methods. Often projects get into financial trouble when they move from basic food production into such things as exotic breeds, unproven varieties of crops, new and untested technology. Our projects should stay with proven crops and livestock production programs. Let us keep in mind that we are in the business of producing food. In the words of President Kimball, I quote, let us become efficient in our production projects so that we don't merely go through the motions of having welfare farms. The time will come when we will need all the products and more from our projects, even more than we do now." End of quote. In addition, brethren, keep in mind that projects need to be managed efficiently and economically. The President has further said, quoting, "...do what you can to make your projects economically viable so that we don't rationalize that the welfare project is good simply because it gets men together. Even though it is good for the priesthood to labor side by side, we can have the brotherhood of labor and the economic efficiency too." End of quote. With these general things in mind, let me list six specific management techniques. One, organization. Establish a competent committee with a chairman and representation from all units who own the project. When necessary, Appoint a qualified manager to operate the project. Committee members should have sound doctrinal, technical, and practical experience necessary to carry out their responsibilities. This committee should be as permanent as possible to ensure continuity of management. In general, the chairman should have the responsibility for day-to-day decision-making. The committee function is similar to that of a board of directors. The manager, if one is hired, should spend the majority of his time in basic production activities that will produce food commodities. Two, planning. Develop and follow a yearly operational plan and budget. An operational plan should deal what? Should detail what, when, why, and how commodities are to be produced and marketed. It will indicate when and how much operating capital will be needed, and how and when it can be repaid if borrowed. A carefully prepared and followed plan ensures that your, pro your project is economically and operationally sound and efficiently operated. Three, operations. It is critical for the success of agricultural project, projects that things be done on time. Sound management practices and proven technology is required in today's agriculture. There is a time to plant and there is a time to harvest. Wise planning and diligent, consistent follow-through will help make e each project successful. Again, stay with proven local agricultural projects. Four, records. Appoint a competent financial clerk to maintain accurate records and, appoint and open a separate bank account for the project. The clerk should complete not only monthly reports for Salt Lake, but also production records that can be used by the committee to determine efficiency, cost of operation, profitability, and so forth. The time preparation, study, and use of financial, the timely preparation and study and use of financial reports will improve control of the project and indicate that you are truly honoring your stewardship. 
Record keeping must be a joint effort involving the manager as well as the clerk. Five, marketing. A part of the plan off, a part of planning overlo often overlooked in the welfare operations is the marketing of farm commodities. The Welfare Production Distribution Department has established a quality assurance program. Only quality products will be accepted by the canneries and the storehouses. All crop production above the amount turned to the storehouses needs to be wisely and effectively marketed. The principal challenge is to market quality commodities at the right time and at the best price to help ensure financial viability. Six, volunteer services. A unique factor of welfare production is the volunteer labor which comes from the members. It takes real planning and follow through to maximize the efficient use of volunteer labor. As well as the volunteer labor, in many instances, projects can benefit from using vo volunteer local resources, such as agricultural extension personnel, businessmen, and experienced farm operators. The training and supervision of volunteer labor on a project by a committee member and or a priesthood leader will allow the manager to spend his time in critical operational functions. These six principles, if consistently practiced, will ensure project success and generate the satisfaction that always comes when we follow the Lord's plan. By following this approach, you leaders will be able to meet the challenge, which is, while you are yet in office, your ward or stake will become involved or will work to improve a production project at the ward or stake level. Some of you may feel that what we have said applies only to projects in the United States or Canada. We wish to assure you that these principles apply to international projects as well. For your information, we now have established production projects in England, Wales, Samoa, Tonga, Australia, and Korea. We encourage priesthood leaders throughout the world to accept this challenge. To qualify for the celestial kingdom, we must obey the laws of a celestial order. One of these celestial mandates is to care for the poor and needy brothers and sisters in the Lord's way. Production projects help us meet this sacred obligation by producing commodities which are distributed throughout our bishop's storehouses. They also help us to become self-sustaining and prepared for eventualities. While there are many challenges associated with production projects, great blessings flow to those who participate. Older men provide examples to younger boys and men. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, parents and children can work together. Discipline, sacrifice, and obedience are learned. Those of different occupations learn to work together. Carpenters, plumbers, teachers, lawyers, doctors, people of all walks of life work side by side. There is opportunity for cooperation, fellowship, and missionary work, for strengthening quorum, family, friends, and neighbor relations, relationships. There is skill developed development and appreciation of the farmer or rancher or businessman. Production projects provide opportunities to develop physical fitness. And all of us are consumers. Production projects help members learn where our food comes from and the problems associated with its production. We more fully appreciate the law of the harvest, that what men sow and care for, they reap. All of our projects provide men with time for prayer and spiritual growth. On production projects, there is opportunity more fully to understand God's handiwork as seen in nature. These are immediate rewards. There are also long-term rewards, the most important of which is to produce commodities to help the poor and the needy. When we catch the vision of welfare production projects, we will want to participate. Let us go forward, forth now with power to meet the challenge. Brethren, see that all wards in the church become involved in or improve production projects during the term of your administration. May the Lord bless us to do this, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.